This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Well, friends, Dante in 100 Days, 100 cantos. We're embarked on a wonderful journey, a trip through the greatest of all Christian epics. Dante's Divine Comedy. If we read and heed this epic well, it will change our lives. Dante's dates are 1265 to 1321. He was a native of Florence, an important cultural and political city. And yet Dante was struck with tragedy fairly early in his life. It occurred in 1302 when Dante was exiled from his high public office in Florence on trumped up charges of corruption, he was never allowed to return. We can't really fathom what that meant to Dante. For Dante, he had been stripped of his identity. You were your city. And yet in a paradoxical way, we can be grateful for Dante's exile. For it was during these years that he wrote the Divine Comedy from probably 1308 to 1320. Adati would become eventually a married man with three children, yet his poetic inspiration came a good deal earlier. It came through his personal vision of a young woman who embodied something transcendent in her self-evident beauty and goodness. She was a Florentine damsel named Beatrice Portinari. Remember that name, Beatrice, and pronounce it that way. It happens also to be the word that means blessed. He saw her actually only three times in his whole life. Uh, first, when he was only nine years old, imagine, and she was only eight. Again, um, Nine years later, when they exchanged greetings in the street, he would have been 18, she 17. And then finally, a few years later, when she met him in the street and she mocked him for this excessive attention he was given to her. But Dante was not deterred. He remained convinced that he had discerned an eternal beauty and goodness that lies beyond mere human sight. It called him to order his loves to the love of God, and therefore to enable us, as we read his great book, to do the same. Beatrice, therefore, remains the central figure of the entire divine comedy. Now, Dante did something really quite daring. Um, he constructed this epic poem uh, not in the grand Latin of Virgil's Aeneid, but in the ordinary speech of cultivated Italians, Florentines specifically. And therefore, this was to be a colloquial epic, an unheard of thing in the language of the people, Italian. More startling still, he called this book The Divine Comedy. He called it simply The Comedy, The Divine was lighted later. Because for people in the Middle Ages, 
stories that begin in darkness and sorrow and sadness, but end in gladness and hope and victory are a far off echo of the gospel itself. So the word comedy does not have anything to do with guffaws, belly laughs. There's, a, there's some humor in Dante, but it's very sly. It means instead that while tragedies close down to death, often noble deaths, comedy becomes a Christian form that opens up to new life. Dante did something even more daring than that. He decided to include contemporary Florentines in his epic, people who were known on the streets and in the city of Florence and throughout the whole of Italy. So, for example, the corrupt Boniface VIII is in hell. Dante's beloved teacher, Brunetta Latini, is in hell, though they're both still living. But in making his epic poem something as engaging and direct and down to earth as he could, he did not neglect form, structure, pattern. The best way to read the Divine Comedy is to think about a medieval cathedral. It has a magnificent symmetry, and that symmetry depends upon the Trinitarian number three. God is three in one, and one in three. So, what do we get in Dante? Three books, each of them having 33 cantos, plus this one introductory canto, making a total of 100, and 100 was thought to be the perfect number, 10 times 10. He does one other thing that I would like to bring out. That is, he deepens and dignifies the poem by his use of what's called an epic simile. An epic simile is a long, careful comparison of one thing with another so as to help us not simply stay on the surface of life, reading things just literally, but to see their great depth. So here's the first one that appears. It appears in the first page. As a man with labored breathing drags his legs out of the water and ashore fixes his eyes upon the dangerous sea, so to my mind, while still a fugitive, turn back to gaze again upon that past which never let a man escape alive. And that past, of course, is the past into hell. He does that throughout. So look out for the epic similes everywhere to be found in Dante. One final word about matters of fact. Be sure to distinguish between Dante the poet and Dante the pilgrim. Dante the poet is the author of the entire great grand work, whereas he also impersonates himself as Dante the pilgrim. So when our narrative is not spoken, it's always Dante the poet. But when it is spoken, it's Dante himself, the pilgrim, and of course, we're one of those as well. We are embarking then on a trip to the depths of hell, up to the 
mountain of purgatory, finally into paradise itself. Look at the very first line. Remarkable. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself in a dark wilderness, for I had wandered from the straight and the true. Notice it's midway. This story begins on Good Friday of the year 1300, the Trinitarian year. Dati is 35 in that year. He's halfway to the biblically allotted 70. And at the same time, he universalized it midway in our journey, I found myself. So this poem is at once universal and very direct and particular. It's important to note that for Dante, we will not discover truth, goodness, happiness, beauty, until we know we have lost it. And therefore, Dante must discover the extent to which his life is damned before he can come up out of that trap, that cage that he is himself caught in. And so for Dante, so we must as well plumb the depths of hell with him so that we can go up to happier things at the end. Now, Dante has to get past, however, this awful she-wolf, she's called, and she is a symbol of greed, avarice, an obsessive desire for more and more. Dante believed that greed damns more people than any other sin among all the sins. Not the worst sin, but numerically it damns most. And Dante get, get faster. He himself knows he's greedy. He's got to get around her. And there's no way around when suddenly there appears this shadowy figure whom Dante can't identify. He looks and who's that? And so Virgil has to identify himself, saying, I'm not a living man, but a shade from the underworld. Because Virgil has depicted that underworld in the Aeneid. He knows what that dismal world is like. And therefore, he can lead Dante down into it and up out of it. And Dante's just overjoyed, overwhelmed at the prospect of having Virgil, Virgil as his guide. So the first thing Virgil does is to call for an all-out attack on this pervasive greed that's consuming all of Italy. And here's a crucial point we'll discover throughout the comedy. For Dante, salvation in the religious world is inseparable from uprightness in the political realm. Without fair and just government, the people's moral and religious life will be compromised. Now, though this Virgil never knew the true God, this doesn't disqualify him to be Dante's guide. For his moral and religious wisdom is poetic. Supreme poets like Virgil traffic 
in the concrete and the particular. While Virgil also represents reason, reason can often get lost in very highfalutin abstractions that are hard to understand and difficult to apply. Not so with poetry. It deals with the concrete, the particular, images, sounds, characters, events, victories, defeats that remain unforgettably alive in our imagination. They have the permanent power to transform us. Dante therefore salutes Virgil with the highest of all possible accolades, poeta, poet. So let's follow them on this poetic journey of unparalleled importance. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.